history under the name Rub and Repair. The rigid structural material makes it a perfect patch for race cars. During a pit stop, damage can be repaired within seconds to bring back a car's structural integrity and aerodynamic shape. Another version of the patch is made for the outdoor and adventure market with the name Rec Repair. Whether making quick repairs in space or on pit row, this patch keeps you moving. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA. Hey, everybody, coming up on the show, I am a doctor. Yes, not that kind of a doctor. I'll tell you about that. And what do you know about chaplains? Great advice on how to help us know how to comfort those who are going through a hard time. We're talking about it next on the Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A tax cut bill is moving ahead in the Senate with support from both sides of the floor. With the help of Republicans, the measure had no trouble clearing the 60-vote threshold for advancing. The yeas are 80, the nays are 14. The Democrats' plan would provide tax breaks for companies that hire new workers, give raises, or buy new equipment. Utah Senator Orrin Hatch wants to modify the bill to extend the expiring Bush tax cuts for a year. We should be focused like hawks on moving us back from the fiscal cliff and preventing tax Taxmageddon. The president also wants to extend those tax cuts, but not for the wealthy. Jerry Bodlander, Capitol Hill. While arguments in Washington rage on about the Bush tax cuts, President Obama is on the road in Iowa trying to win the nation's support for his plan. The president says letting Bush-era tax cuts for most Americans expire at the end of the year would be a blow to hardworking families and the economy. But he tells the Cedar Rapids audience Republicans seem bent on holding them hostage to tax cuts for the wealthy. Why don't you compromise to help the middle class? Go ahead and do the 98 percent and we can keep arguing about the 2 percent. Republicans say it's wrong to hike taxes on job creators in a struggling recovery. But Obama says extending tax cuts for rich folks like him and Mitt Romney is something America can't afford. Mark Smith at the White House. The president isn't the only one making a visit to Iowa today. Federal authorities are moving against a financial financial institution in the state that is missing millions of dollars. Federal regulators have filed civil fraud charges against Peregrine Financial Group and founder Russell Weisendorf Sr. The Commodities Futures Trading Commission accuses the firm and the owner of misusing customer funds and failing to keep them separate from the firm's own money as required by law. This after he is said to have tried to kill himself. Regulators say Peregrine falsely claimed to be holding more than $220 million in customer funds when in fact it had only $5 million. Accounts have been frozen and regulators say the next step is to place the firm in receivership. Mark Hamrick, Washington. The Department of Labor is taking some criticism for relaxing its child work standards on farms. Agriculture organizations succeeded in convincing the Labor Department to drop proposals to limit farm work by children. Now they say the government should leave safety to parents, even though children performing farm work are four times more likely to be killed than those employed in all other industries combined. One OSHA expert says, if society says you have to be 16 to operate a car, I don't see how you can say it's any less sound that you have to be 16 to operate farm equipment. Farm accidents involving children are down, but not gone. I'm Brian Thomas. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. 
I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can every day on this show to give you and your loved ones all the skills, the tools to make it through this crazy thing we call life. Welcome to the show, everybody. This, for me, is a fun show because I'm back from vacation. We've uh, we've been on delay uh, or uh, on vacation, and you've been listening to a lot of our old shows, kind of a best of for the last week. Hope you've enjoyed that, and um, now we're ready to just kind of knock it out of the park and take this show to the next level because I am not the same guy I was a week ago. A week ago, I was just Matt Townsend, no doctor, but now I am officially a doctor. PhD Dr. Townsend. I'd like you to call me. No, I don't know. I don't know what I want you to call me quite honestly. I haven't been thinking that far ahead. But I just defended my dissertation and uh, spent years doing this, 6 years working and just pushing my little brain as hard as I could to become a doctor and now that I've reached this level of PhD, I'm now wondering why why did I do this? Sat down with my family. I have a lot of um, family that are medical doctors and uh, spent the weekend with them and, and got a good dose of, well, you know, you're not a real doctor. And after I picked him up off the ground for daring to diss my PhD, I, um, I started thinking to myself, shut up. You don't get to say that. Of course I'm a real doctor. In fact, I've been telling guys I'll even do physicals, but no one's taken me up on that. And um, as I sit here and try to figure out how on earth I'm going to pay for the Ph.D. now, uh, I'm wondering, wow, was this a good idea or not? And, and then it all comes back to probably a bigger thing because it's not really the Ph.D. I'm coming to find out that mattered as much to me as what I've gone through for the last six years sitting and listening and reading and talking to professors and reading every theory you can imagine. My, my degree's in human development, um, and it's about basically motivation theories and how we grow and how we develop and how to educate, you know, people um, to be more motivated and more, you know, uh, more in charge of their life, more empowered, all these different theories I've learned. And what I've come to find out is, honestly, the Ph.D. was not for anybody but myself. I've never been more tested. I I put together a 190-page dissertation. I wrote it 50,000 times. I've had it edited a million times. And then last week, I got to sit down and present it to five of my faculty. And um, it was just an interesting, very surreal experience as uh, as, as I'm giving them information that they've already read 500 times, and they all acted like it was new. And then um, they beat me up for about another 45 minutes. And all in this guise, this this view of like it's pretense and, and just trying to all pretend like we didn't know what was going to happen. And um, at the very end, the, the greatest words whispered ever, I think, were just simply, well, excellent work on this. And they reviewed everything I did. And they said, now, Dr. Townsend, we'd like to welcome you to the academy. And I about lost it. 
a goal of six years, a dream of many, many more, has finally been reached. And then um, I walked out, found my family, sat down with my kids, and they were all like, "Um, so are we going to make more money now, Dad? And again, I'm like, oh, you guys have no idea. You have no idea what I've done to get here. So it's not about the money, apparently. It's not about any of that. What was it about? I guess it's about being what I felt prompted to be, being the best I could at it. And again, honestly, I think it's going to take the show um, – it's not going to take it in a big direction, a different direction. It will uh, be more fun because now I can actually speak like a doctor. And I'm wearing this white coat now with Dr. Townsend on it, and nobody seems to give me more cred. I don't know why. Nobody seems to believe me more. I don't know. I thought I'd have a lot more power in the end than I really do. So think about it out there, folks. Have you had a dream that took forever to get to? Have you had a goal that you maybe stopped chasing? Have you have you felt prompted or inspired to take your career in a different direction For some reason, that didn't quite make sense. Maybe it didn't make sense financially. Maybe it didn't make sense um, even emotionally or physically, but it just made sense in your heart. Maybe spiritually, it just was something that was right. Because if so, that is what we're talking about on the show today. We're bringing in two chaplains um, who are going to, again, I'm pretty sure they're not doing chaplaincy because of the money. They're doing it, I'm convinced, because it's their calling. They feel it's part of who they are, their identity. So we're going to be talking to them, try to find out a little bit about the technical aspects, about becoming a chaplain. What is that like? How did they choose that career? How do they stay in it? And um, what? And then we want to use some of their skills. How do we actually help people that are going through struggles? How do we help talk through people as they're, as they're struggling as they're mourning the loss of somebody. A lot of these chaplains work in hospitals, and um, there are actually some great reports or an article that we just read that a lot of corporate America are now starting to bring on chaplains to work inside of their organizations. One, for example, is Tyson Foods that has brought in – Dallas-based Tyson has brought in a, um, a chaplain to work there at a meat processing plant that employs 128 chaplains to minister to 85,000 employees in the United States, Mexico, and Canada. So chaplains are out there. Now, it's not just, I guess, about church anymore. And we're going to be talking to two great ones who are going to give us some insight. Mark Allison and David Nutter are here to join us. To help. We're going to pick their brains. We also want to use their expertise on how to help those that are mourning, those that are going through difficult times. Just a crazy little weekend. I had friends whose family members died in a car crash. I had others who who tragically lost their lives in other accidents and other um, problems that they've been dealing with emotionally and physically. And so want to hear from our chaplains, people I believe that are feeling called to do their work, not just called by the mighty dollar. And uh, we're going to be talking to them to get their insight. So stick around, be thinking of your own life. Have you been called to do something? What is your calling? And are you stepping up to it? You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Arriving on Mars in 3, 2, 1. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. 
A human-enabled mission to Mars is a critical milestone for space and planetary exploration. However, immense challenges must be overcome before men and women can safely explore the Red Planet. Through university engineering competitions like NASA's Revolutionary Systems Concepts Academic Linkages called RASCAL for short, students are provided a platform to develop comprehensive mission designs that include multiple space vehicle launches, breakthroughs in propulsion systems, radiation protection, and the application of medicine in extraterrestrial environments. Through the annual RASCAL Forum, students share their intensive work with peers and a panel of judges comprised of NASA and industry experts. The opportunity for research and experimentation on Mars will expand our knowledge of planetary and life sciences, not to mention the potential for finding new and valuable resources. Realizing these missions will stretch the bounds of innovation, human health, and engineering, NASA sees direct connection to tapping the bright minds of undergraduate and graduate students. After all, reaching Mars could be the greatest feat of their generation. In the words of Buzz Aldrin, Mars is out there, waiting to be reached. The rascal competitors are getting us closer. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. For the 2012-2013 season, BYU Radio is your home for Cougar sports. Don't miss BYU football. Touchdown! Cougars take the lead! Men's basketball. Davies to the middle! And the right hand stop! Women's basketball. Brigham Young University Cougars are the West Coast Conference champions. Baseball. A walk-off grand slam and BYU wins it! And more. All the major sports, all season long. Only on your home for Cougar Sports. Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking about your purpose, your calling, and uh, talked about uh, I feel called, compelled, to see if we can't help people improve their lives, which is the purpose of this show. And in a minute, we'll be bringing on some chaplains um, and hear about their careers, their jobs, some of the great skills they've learned in helping people transition and deal with difficult times in their lives. But before we do that, we want to um, go to one of our featurettes by one of our producers, Thomas Brinton. Now, you know, we, we miss our children as we send them off to school. We care for our loved ones lying ill in the hospital, yet we feed them some really Weird stuff. Here's Tom Brinton with the story. Mom said I should ask about how poor kids could get fed. So I got a book of tickets and a schedule and it read. Monday hot dog, Tuesday taco, Wednesday hamburgers and chocolate milk. Thursday sloppy joes and burritos in a bag. Friday was pizza day, the best day of the week. Pizza day really was the best day of the week back in elementary school. Of course, I would never eat that stuff today. It was made on a cookie sheet cut into squares with weird crust and some sort of gelatinous cheese substitute on top. Yeah, school lunch was never exactly a gourmet affair, and there was a sense, even as a child, of being fed on an assembly line. I ran across a very interesting story as I was reading up on the current state of affairs in children's nutrition. It's about a young girl named Martha. She lives in Scotland and is the daughter of a doctor and a farmer. She started writing a blog about her school lunches. She'd take a picture every day and then post it, along with a description of the food and a rating. She also includes a count of how many hairs were found in the meal. Usually it's zero, but one can never be too careful about these things. Scrolling through the blog, cleverly titled Never Seconds, is an interesting experience because children from all over the world will send in pictures of their school lunches. The difference is sometimes astounding. 
To me, all the American meals look pretty bland, and all the Asian meals look amazing. Martha's blog gained even more notoriety when she was ordered by her school district to stop bringing her camera to school and to stop criticizing her school lunch. Needless to say, the ensuing outrage in support of the young girl's culinary opinions caused the school district to not only permit her to continue, but to allow all children as many servings of vegetables and fruit as they desired. All of this got me thinking about other less than savory predetermined dining experiences. For example, have you ever had dinner on an airline? I've heard mythical stories of delectable airborne feasts, but the only thing I ever think of is that mystery fish I was served on an overnight flight to Iceland. It was not a pleasant experience. I also found a blog about hospital food. Picture after picture from different countries, I found that some hospitals served tantalizing feasts, while others looked worse than prison food. And this time there was no real geographical influence. Two meals from Germany occupied opposite ends of the tastiness spectrum. My take on the matter is that I would likely feel a lot better, a lot quicker, with some amazing shish kebabs and rice by my bed, than I would with the company of a dry piece of bread and reconstituted peas. I don't know if there's anything to be done about one-size-fits-all food service, but for me, nothing beats the familiarity and freshness of a home-cooked meal. Welcome back, everybody.、Um, going from hospital food to hospital help, and we've we've got our chaplains here, Mark Allison and David Nutter. Uh, are joining us today, two chaplains that, and we really want to hear about it because it seems the only chaplain I've ever known of was Father Mulcahy on the on the hit series <laughs> Mash, and so now、uh, Father Mulcahy, he was always kind of the calm one, right? The standard of,、um, I guess, excellence in the in the Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. He's the one you could always trust in. Um, but I'm sure being a chaplain is is a lot different today. So who wants to start? Mark, do you want to start? Sure.、Uh, you know, I've I've been told that for a couple of decades now.、Uh, what you just said about Father Mulcahy and <laughs> and that, that's cool.、Uh, first, I want to congratulate you on your PhD.、Uh, oh, way、you. to go!、Uh, outstanding.、Uh, you no doubt have heard what PhD stands for. Oh don't yeah.、You? Oh yeah, I didn't hear that till I got it though.、Uh, I don't know for、uh, for our listening uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, audience. Yeah, fill them in. PhD.、Uh, I've been told what that actually stands for is pilot higher and deeper. Oh, it's so, so true.、Uh, and human development.、Yeah. It sounds like、yeah. uh, you you、That's、got it, it covered. But、uh, so we're、anyway. totally piled up <laughs> financially. Academically, I can't. It was even a long intro、straight. too. We were、uh, thinking the station would change to K E G O with the PhD <laughs> status. Yeah, you'd think so, huh? Wouldn't you? <laughs> no, but anyway, the chaplaincy.、Uh... So, how do you get to be a chaplain? I mean, it's it's it really is. I mean, it seems like we have social workers, we have psychologists,、right. but we don't have anyone that kind of bridges the spiritual. And the clinical, yeah, the clinical. Well, that is what we do.、Uh, we train interfaith chaplains to make that bridge between psychology or behavioral sciences and ministry、yeah. in an interfaith environment. That's so that's part of what we do. What's the now? The interfaith seems interesting to me because it seems like you can't just master one tool set. You've got to know multiple. Tool sets. So how do you how do you actually reach somebody in their faith tradition? If、um, and how well versed can you actually become in a faith tradition? 
You know, I think it's as different as people are within any given faith. You'll meet uh, people of all faiths who are active in it, um, maybe have a very strong testimony of their faith tradition, and then you'll meet people that are a little bit disenfranchised and maybe they haven't um, been as involved in their faith. But uh, some of the people that we meet all the time are patients that are nearing death, and everybody at a certain point in time in that process seems to gravitate towards a listening ear, and and they want to hear some information. So um, I was fortunate. I I was in uh, healthcare executive management for a long time and and was really searching for how I could become more involved in people's lives Mm -hmm. as opposed to generating revenue or uh, reviewing protocols for clinical coverage. And I met Mark at the VA hospital up in Salt Lake, and uh, it took me about – a half an hour of listening to Mark's enthusiasm for yeah. chaplaincy uh, to go through the application process. And uh, a year's worth of time at the time, the program that, that he was uh, instructing was 1,600 hours of wow. clinical training. So there's um, work that you do with the patients based right. on their faith tradition. Um, I'll let Mark talk about his uh, his slogan because it's it's catapulting us to create a brand new chaplain organization. Oh, is it? And it'll be two thousand hours for chaplains to go through because we really feel that there should be an emphasis more on all of these different faiths. Oh, um, that's great! I think that's that's so important because here we are at the end of life. They all have assumptions, beliefs, and. They can't just go necessarily to a therapist to have that those beliefs brought up and mentioned and understood. So you're saying in the new system you want to you want to be able to incorporate more of that. Yeah, in fact, uh, both Mark and I serve as volunteer chaplains, uh, different police departments here in Utah, and uh, we we find that there's a number of people that really want to talk to somebody yeah. at length about what they're feeling and what they're maybe contemplating. But if they use a traditional therapist or uh, employee assistance program, there's some trepidation there. There's yeah. some hesitance of putting their name associated with yeah, a clinical record. to it, exactly. And we don't keep records. And that's part of what we offer here is confidentiality. We have clergy privilege we don't have to keep a record. It doesn't have to go have a written document about yeah. a visit with a chaplain. Uh, so people like that. Oh, sure. And it's it frees them, doesn't it? And then they can also share the religious side, and, and you can get into their convictions. Now, you did it, Mark. You you went out. You were in the military. You did this in the military for how many years? I started in 1986, and I'm still there. Wow. I've served in the Navy, Marines, and now the Army. And as a chaplain, have you as been? A chaplain. Have you been over in the battlefield? Have you been to Iraq? Have you gone? I have. Uh, when I was in the Navy, I went to the Persian Gulf War back in 1990, 91. Wow. And most recently, the Army gave me a, a free vacation to Afghanistan, uh, if I can call it that. Uh, Thanks. Although it wasn't particularly fun. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> they must really look to you. I mean, you must be like a relief to them, to these soldiers that have just gone out. They come back. They've got. A little bit of time back at the camp, I guess, or whatever, and I guess you just—that's when you get busy. It actually, I go out where they go. Oh, do you? Really? You just are with the unit. That is correct. Uh, when I deploy with them, as in other military chaplains, we go where they go. We don't just sit in the rear oh, yeah. and wait for them to come back. You've got. We'll be go there out the in harm's way with them. Uh, There's a great picture so. of Mark that's in his office. You should describe what that is, since they can't see it. 
I'm not sure which one you're referring to. Is that the helicopter? Yeah, the helicopter. (laughs) We're about to get on a helicopter, a Black Hawk in Afghanistan, to go out for me to visit the Muslim mullah of this village to make an initial contact and try to establish a relationship between two clergy folks, an American and an Afghan, a Muslim and a Christian. And we got on this Black Hawk. uh, We had someone take our photograph because the thought was, and it was vocalized, we may not be coming back. Uh, so we need a, we need a, let's get a photo of this mission we're going on, and yeah. that's what's hanging in my office. How amazing. <laughs> so you become kind of the religious representative, the spiritual representative yeah. of this unit. He's also got yeah. a great plaque. He's picked up a nickname since he's been in the military. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. It's putting me on the spot yeah, here. Go ahead. I was with a helicopter battalion or task force, and you know how pilots have a – a call sign, an individual yeah, call right. sign like a trucker would have a yeah. handle. They they gave me one, and it is uh, the Sermonator. <laughs> <laughs> the Sermonator. How great. You, I mean, that's the neat thing about it is the camaraderie must be just enormous. Because you're in, you're in with them in a completely different way. You know their values. You know their, their religious beliefs. You know so much. You know, they are my teachers for the most part. I learn from the people I serve, whether it's laying in a hospital bed and they're injured, sick, dying, or in a battlefront. Uh, they are my teachers. And that's what I, I tell our chaplains in training. Be humble when you go. You're, in, you're on sacred ground. Yeah. Uh, learn about their culture. Learn about their faith tradition. You can read all about it, but you need to also learn it f- on the spot and be fluid to go with it. Well, and from them and doing it their way because their practicing of Catholicism is not going to be everyone's practicing of Catholicism. So you almost have to just meet them where they are, don't you? That is exactly what we tell them. Meet them where they're at. And the experience is is different for everybody, especially depending on the event at hand. Somebody that has a family and and a supportive network that's uh, facing death and it's anticipated is very different than, say, the crash scene down at St. George recently where you had – you know, unfortunately, four young men perished, and a lot of um, law enforcement and uh, rescue personnel had to stand around and wait for NTSB to arrive. And that gave me an opportunity to share what they were feeling, what they were going mm-hmm. through until, you know, uh, bodies could be removed. And And that's where you really start to appreciate your role as a chaplain, that uh, you might be the lightning rod to, that gets attention, but yeah. it kind of radiates back out. It's it's a session where you get to explore some things that you've been trained to do, yeah. and then things kind of unfold the way people need them to. Well, and do you ever just get in so deep that you're like, oh, my word, how did I get here? Uh, that can happen, and obviously need to be very prayerful on those yeah. occasions. But uh, I'm hoping to let you know what we offer to— uh, to people in our community across yeah, the nation, let's hear some of that. Uh, we're interested in competent compassion. We want to train people, whether they're Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, Muslim, whatever the faith tradition, or even none, yeah. the unchurched, uh, in how to provide competent compassion in time of crisis, in time of trauma, uh, distress in people's lives. Uh, and so we help them learn these skills to adapt and adjust in the moment to provide care that doesn't add hurt upon hurt right. by saying the wrong thing, yeah, I mean, doing that's... the wrong thing. And so we have clinical pastoral education. And so 
we're excited to launch our new organization. What, what to help. is the new organization coming up? It's called the World Spiritual Health Organization. It's um, dedicated to really providing this initial core work, uh, 2,000 hours. Uh, it's done over a year's period of time. Uh, there's a, an instructor, an evaluator. There's peers that uh, review the the competency of your mm, work. That's um, great. Patients have pseudonyms, and and it's an entire intense um, self awareness and uh, self improvement. Essentially, uh, CPE is a is a wonderful transition from wanting to help somebody into being competent to help other. That's people. the key, isn't yeah. it? Because it seems like it's not enough to just. You know, be the minister or to be the pastor or to be the bishop. You need to you need to have skills. You need to have real life tools, and because you're dealing with these vulnerable people, mm-hmm. and we, I mean that's what I want. When we come back from the break, I really want to get into some of the skills. Like, how do you approach somebody at a funeral or in mm-hmm. in a situation like that? Because it seems like most of the time we're not saying the right thing. Yeah, that's and, right. And a lot of that is just because we simply don't know what to say. Our intent, I would never question. Our right. intent is noble and good, but then we say something like, "Oh, he he looks." Good. Or we well, say things like, I know what you're going through, yeah. and, and you clearly don't. And you don't have a clear, do you? I mean, and even, even if you thought you did, you just can't you do for go you. there. Right, exactly you do for right. you, but Nobody not for them. feels like they're being understood fully there. Right. Um, powerful, powerful stuff. So we're going to take a break. When we come back from the break, we'll be getting to real-life tools, skills, ideas. What do you say? How do you approach somebody that's going through trauma? How do you deal with somebody that really just needs your compassion, your love, your heart? We're talking about it right here on the Matt Townsend Show on uh, Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Start your day right with Marcus Smith and the morning team. We're going to talk about um, just stuff, you know, lots of things that show up that, that once we're in your home and they go to somebody else's home and how do they get there? Maybe by way of a thrift store. Join in for conversation on current topics and events from around BYU campus and the world and get your morning talking. Tune into The Morning Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Attorney General Eric Holder is speaking out against the recent GOP-backed voter ID purges at the NAACP convention. The nation's top lawman says state voter ID laws are discriminatory because 92% of white voting age citizens have a government-issued photo ID, but 25% of African Americans do not. We will not allow political pretext to disenfranchise American citizens of their most precious right. And Holder says America has always tried to expand its electorate. We will simply not allow this era to be the beginning of the reversal of that historic progress. I will not allow that to happen. I'm David Melendi. Egypt's parliament convened briefly despite an order to dissolve by the military rulers. Egypt's ruling military dissolved the parliament last month, but the house met anyway. It's the latest step in an escalating conflict between the new Muslim Brotherhood president and the military. The parliament session lasted only five minutes. The speaker said it was a step toward asking for a new ruling to replace the one that led to dissolution of the house. The fact that the military didn't try to prevent the session could mean the two sides are looking for a way out of this. Mark Levy, Cairo. Hiring was less than expected last month, but the numbers of jobs advertised by employers is sending a more positive sign. 
The Labor Department is reporting that employers advertised more jobs in May compared to April, the number of job openings rising to 3.6 million, up from 3.4 million in the previous month. There's a lot of work to do to get the unemployed back to work. The government says there were 12.7 million people unemployed in May. That amounts to 3.5 jobless persons for every open post. It typically takes between one to three months to fill a job, so hiring could pick up in the coming months. Mark Hamrick, Washington. Chevrolet is making an uncommon move in the auto industry, offering a money-back guarantee on all cars and trucks this summer. Chevy says any new buyer between now and September 4th will have 60 days from the date of purchase, no questions asked, to return their car or truck for a full refund. Marketing chief Chris Perry says customers like it when the companies show such confidence in their makes and models. Only caveat, no damage and less than 4,000 miles on the car or truck. GM did the same thing in 2009 as the company was emerging from bankruptcy. I'm Tim McGuire. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Now, you know... Every couple of years or so, a friend or extended family member passes away, and we, you know, we really try not to think about it. We don't want to go too crazy, but it's inevitable. It's going to happen to all of us. What can we say to help those and comfort those that are suffering a loss? Let's go to Rob Sanders and find out. It just takes one phone call, and you could find yourself leaving work and flying halfway across the country to attend someone's funeral. All just to try to show some kind of support to the deceased's family, who often you never really even knew that well to begin with. And that's when it hits you, that awkward moment when you see their widow and try to say something comforting, but your mind draws a blank. I don't know if I can help you with what to say, but the Internet has helped me find a list of things definitely not to say at a funeral. Number one. He looks more peaceful now. As opposed to what? Back when he was alive and still living with you? (laughs) And he looks better now that he's gone? You look terrible. Of course they look terrible. Their loved one just died. Plus, now they're going to feel really self-conscious. I mean, if you went to the length to tactlessly tell them they look terrible, then they must look really terrible, right? How are you doing financially? Okay, now good question to ask. But your heart's probably in the wrong place if you're saying that, because let's be honest, you're only saying that because, A, you're just struggling to find something to say, and B, you just want some really good gossip. I mean, you know, he made a lot of money, and now that he's gone, is she going to make it on her own? Listen, if you really cared about that, that's the kind of question you'd ask after many, many long conversations. You might drop that six months from now. And honestly, are you really going to do that? I always told him smoking would be the death of him. That's not helping! Odds are their survivors were probably the ones pressuring them the most to quit. It was just his time. His number was up. I think the only way you're going to get away with that is if the guy was 135 years old and died of a heart attack riding his bicycle or something. And even then, you still don't want to drop the line, He died doing what he loves! He loved riding bicycles, not dying of heart attacks on bicycles. Well, life goes on. Right advice? Wrong place. Sure, life goes on, but 
That's like telling a depressed person, Just be happy! He's not going to heaven. I don't need to explain why. That's just plain mean. And I wouldn't go around suggesting what alternative to heaven you think he's going to end up in. I know just how you feel. You don't know how they feel. You may have experienced tragedy ten times the scale of this person, but you're not that person. You don't know how they deal with grief. You don't know how they handle pain. And besides, that's kind of like blowing off their pain and saying, oh, yeah, no big deal. I know how you feel. It's not comforting. He's in a better place. Yep, a lot better place than when he was living with you. It's all well-meaning, but you don't want to cause additional pain. So what should you say to help someone actually feel better who's grieving? I'm no expert, but I do know being formal helps. We tell people happy birthday on Facebook, and we email them Valentine's Day cards and text happy anniversary. But I really don't think that's good at funeral time. Flowers or a handwritten card really do make a difference, especially if you refer to the deceased person by name. And if you can attend the memorial service, then yeah, you should go. And when you get there, if you can't think of the right thing to say, just be a good listener. And if the person grieving isn't saying anything for you to listen to, then maybe just give them a big hug. And that could say a lot more than what your words ever could. So true. Sometimes we don't need words. In fact, sometimes it'd be better if you just shut your mouth and just be real for crying out loud and be with the person. Be present. They don't need your advice. They don't need any of this junk. But we're going to hear that from the experts. We're talking now to two chaplains, Mark Allison, David Nutter, who right now are just beginning to put together a great organization called the World Spiritual Health Organization. Their goal is to teach skills and tools for how to deal with the difficult times of life, how to bring the spirit in, you know, through all uh, traditions, through all faith traditions, all belief sets. Um, There are some basic principles and truth that go through all of these. So we're going to bring them on. Guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here with us. We're very happy to be here, uh, Matt. The slogan that uh, we operate from in our organization, it goes like this. Spirituality, where it is absent, invite it. Where it is dormant, revive it. And where it is present, sustain it. And we teach uh, spiritual care providers, whatever that may look like in practical terms, clergy or lay clergy, uh, whatever faith tradition, doesn't matter, that to promote spiritual health around the globe, in our nation, in our community, in our own home. So we're about training interfaith chaplains or other care providers. They could be mental health professionals. It's not just chaplains, educators even, about spirituality and inviting it and promoting it. But we look at what I call the three gems. When we're visiting with someone in distress, you brought up about a a funeral, um, to look for three gems. And they're easy to remember. They are emotional emeralds, relationship rubies, and spiritual sapphires. Hmm. What I mean by that is, look at what's going on here in their heart. What are the emotions in play? Mad, sad, glad, afraid, lonely, guilt? What are they feeling? Attend to those feelings. Uh, relationship rubies. What are the dynamics in play right now in their life? We know somebody has died, but what is going on among the living? What are the dynamics, good or bad, or 
Is there yeah, conflict? Is there a right. rallying of, of people? We want our chaplains, our caregivers, to be attentive to the dynamics in play in relationships. Mm-hmm. So the rubies yeah. and the sapphires, the spiritual sapphires, what is going on spiritually in this situation? Where's God in all this? Yeah. Uh, are they losing their faith, or is it being reinforced and strengthened and drawn upon in a, in a major way? We want our folks to provide competent compassion by looking at those three things. And I can give you an example. Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, uh, and I'll, I'll make it personal so you know I can speak about it and not divulge somebody else's experience. Right. My dad died 20-plus years ago, and my stepmother put on an appearance that she was coping well with that. Yeah. She went to church each week very faithfully. Uh, she didn't miss. She sat on the back row, and but she was there. Well, two years had gone by, and she was at her wit's end with her grief. The you know my dad, her husband being gone, and all that goes with that. The decisions, the finances, the companionship. She decided she needed to go see her clergyman. She was feeling suicidal. Mm. The grief was overwhelming. Uh, she couldn't keep going. So she made an appointment, went to see him, and as soon as he opened the door to welcome her into the office, he said, Sister so-and-so, uh, so happy to see you. I just want to tell you before you, you, you start, whatever your reason is for being here, I just want to tell you I'm so proud of you. I'm so grateful uh. for you for being a pillar of strength in this congregation. You are here every Sunday. You are so faithful and so strong and so good. Uh, I just, I just, I've wanted to tell you that for a long time. She did not tell him uh, any of the reason then, that huh? she, she went there. And, shut it and down. so— as you said earlier, intentions. His intention wasn't to hurt no, her. He was very compassionate, but yeah. he lacked the competence yeah. to go with that compassion. He didn't. He missed the emotion. He missed it. He missed the relationship. He missed the systems. What was the other one? Relation, uh, emotional, emerald, spiritual ruby. Spiritual, I mean, spiritual yeah. relationship sapphire. rubies and sapphires. You got it. See, to me, and what, oh, it's so sad because she had to have been showing that. And there has to, she, I, I believe in a phrase by young Carl Jung that says, you cannot not communicate. That's right. I've heard that. And um, it's, so she's communicating. She had to have been communicating some difference, some sadness, it. and he missed it. And part of it's like we're not dialing in. That's why I love that you have these jewels because it forces your chaplains to be dialing into kind of what's going on in between the lines. You know, over, absolutely. Over that year of of uh, training uh, through Mark, uh, chaplains are are really kind of searching. What are the kinds of questions I need to focus on? And yeah. so they go through these machinations, they go through these scenarios, and then everybody comes back together as a group and we review how someone did on a particular case. And while these questions, these probing questions are important, I think what you're alluding to is what uh, we refer to as material presented. Mm. Because you'll be in a in a room with a family that may be stressing. It's not always about death. It, yeah. It's about about relationships that are splintered yeah. or fractured or non-existent and they want to come together. Um, many times um, it's a look. Yeah. It's, it's your ability to not only become a good counselor, but it's your ability to become a good listener. Mm-hmm. You're kind of like a detective in a way. You know, uh, Mark will 
a lot of times bring a class back and say, well, what was presented that we didn't discuss? You know, how many people were in the room? Who took control of the conversation? Uh, the visit was intended for the patient, but the patient never got to say anything because his wife wanted to talk or his children were upset. And it's so they huge. got – so yeah. there's a lot of times where mining those gems that Mark just referred to becomes difficult because – people that are not competent. And, yeah. and we love volunteers. Right. I mean, you love a volunteer. Their heart is in the right place. But from a competency standpoint, you really need the training that That's goes true. with CPE training. There's so much data that is, I, I believe, all the data is in the room. Everything you need is being, it's in there. I mean, you can get more, but there's enough there. And why would anyone give you more if you're not even getting what they're sending? Well, the eye rolling of, a, of two people in the room that are rolling an eye the minute mm-hmm. dad makes a comment. I mean, it's, it's all right there if you're paying attention, but you do need to have the skills. And we, we've discussed that one of the reasons the impetus, the motivation for uh, Mark and I was that we see a world that is really trying to censor spirituality. Yeah. And, and so people have been, uh, you know, you, if you apply for any application, whether it's a federal job or a state job or anything else, that always say we do not discriminate based on, and all these things are included, including your religious faith. And yet the second that you get into an organization, what happens? HR or operations convenes and says, uh, the last thing that we want to do is talk about spirituality. Well, there's some giants, thank goodness, that are on the scene today. Ford Motor Company is one of those, and we think they're going to probably be one of the first organizations to receive uh, what we're calling the Washoe Spirit Friendly Organization. So um, it's kind of like a it's like a status. It's an award. Yeah, and yeah. we want to recognize organizations that understand that the whole person concept that's been discussed in the military, but has gone through some evolutions, is really important. You know, finances and retirement. You see that on the television all right. the time, and you see uh, being a present father mm-hmm. and being a supportive family and hold on to dear life and yeah. those kinds of things. And yet, around the country, people are routinely and summarily dismiss oh, sure. about the faith component that they have, and and we're we're really concerned about you know, that's this, a, well, that's a noble mission because yeah. I mean you're you're now going to try to move corporate America right by just I mean and an incentive like we hope we just a, did a cert, well I think you did <laughs> I think you did it's interesting because um, like when I teach I, I spirituality is a huge need but it, it's all over corporate America do I like do I feel spiritually connected to the purpose of my company do I believe in the values they believe in do I believe in I mean do I do I see my values being portrayed by my leaders in my company I mean my spirituality is a core part of everything I'm doing and I think it's I guess that's easy at a religious institution but I worked for Franklin Covey for 9 years and I felt compelled by their mission. I felt driven by a mission that motivated me that made me connect to a bigger purpose. So, I think it's I think it's powerful as chaplains and and you also you have to have you have to have these conversations. You guys are on the front line and you walk in and you're sitting there and you see a family going through this. What are what do our listeners need to know? What are some tools that if they could walk away with some of those the jewels were great. Mm-hmm. What are some more things that if they left just knowing this, like listening, we need to listen and collect all the data. It's all there. What else could we know? What else do they need? You to know, know, that is first and foremost, Matt, is the listening skill. We train uh, whoever comes to us to become 
pretty much expert listeners to go with that material being presented in the room. What do you smell when you walk in that room? What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? We want our spiritual care providers to be attuned to their own inner workings and feelings as well as what's going on around them. So listening on multiple levels is what we're promoting. Uh, and, and reinforcing. So there's nothing better than listening. After that, when I feel stuck, you alluded to it earlier. Yeah. What do you say when, when we're stuck. darn, I'm right. stuck. I don't know what to say or how to proceed. This is horrible. Yeah. I say that. Uh, I might say, you know, this is absolutely horrible. I'm so sorry this is happening to you. I don't know what to say or do, but I want you to know I care and I wanted to be here with you at this time. That's huge. Can you tell me what might be most beneficial to you today yeah. that I might help make a difference for you? I said that this morning with the Marine, laying in a hospital bed, met him for the first time, and he had tears in his eyes, and he apologized for having the tears. And I said, why are you apologizing for your tears? I'm going with the material he That's presented, right. He's the tears. It to you, right. He said, well, I want to be able to communicate with you, so I don't want these emotions getting in the way. I said, your tears are communicating powerfully to me right now. Can you tell me what they represent? What are you feeling right now? That's brilliant. See, now, isn't that interesting? So you only really ask a question. You can can even prompt them on something you see, the Mm -hmm. tears. Mm -hmm. Tell me what those tears mean to you. So so it's, it's actually him giving you enough information to then elicit some validation. You're... You're struggling. Tell me what those tears mean, and then he'll give you more data. I mean, it's that's what's so great about it is the information's in the room, it and is. then if you just kind of ease it out with some validation and some invitation. You know, uh, part of the uh, part of that CPE process is, as I said before, it's a uh, it's transforming for yourself individually, and so what you find a lot in these CPE programs that Mark has been teaching these for years. So uh, really, putting our organizational um, twist to it and expansion of what we think is is beneficial really always comes back to the individual. Um, you ask what kind of skills you know can you uh, employ um, for the mom and the dad that are struggling with a kid that's on drugs. A lot of times they've already been through the court system. Yeah. They've been disciplined, you know, allegedly. They've they've gone to different treatment facilities, and there's a number of really good ones, but. Um, our intervention is really about faith. Can we draw down on on divine resources to help this circumstance? You know, we've become so politically correct yeah. as an org- as a as a nation that we are scared to say, "Well, what does your faith tell you about this?" Right. And that's really what the chaplain's role is. That's great. We aren't going to be the expert drug counselor no. necessarily. I mean, there will be Sometimes people that are in be, there. Yeah. yeah. But but our goal is to bring the element of divine into the right. circumstance and try to to um, reinforce the value of the individual's mm-hmm. soul, whether they believe in a faith tradition or not. That's it. You know, there's power beyond what we would regard as a veil that we can draw on to say, let's all do something that will trigger your soul's response to this this circumstance, because yeah. that's what they're actually that's struggling right. with. They well, could be this, struggling with it emotionally, but they're really struggling right. with it spiritually. This is the real healing source anyway. I mean, you're just trying to draw them back to mm. the real healing source that mm. they believe in. Well, I mean, otherwise, what good is the religion? 
right. and their spiritual faith if they're not healing, if it's not helping them deal with the you know the diver- the trials of life. Right. Could I say, yeah. Matt, that we're speaking a lot about chaplains. Uh, we'd like to expand that. We in our organization, we're hoping to reach out to religious artists who create religious art to promote spiritual health and oh, motivation, uh, or musicians who, you know, are, whatever their faith tradition. We're we're reaching out to educators who want to include spirituality in a respectful way in in what they teach and how they teach. We're reaching out to mental health professionals who are tired of just following a secular lockstep way and got to leave the spirit dimension out of it. We're reaching out and certifying them as spiritual care counselors. That's great. With and a then brand the chaplains. New, with a brand new demographic, really, relatively speaking, on the scene of females. Mm. We have uh, uh, Mark uh, graduated a recent class of, of chaplains that included a number of female chaplains, and one of which I'm thinking of Holly, a Jewish chaplain who's a music therapist. So oh, that's part, perfect. part of her entree into the patient room in a hospice or hospital clinical environment is that she brings a harp with her. Yeah. And sometimes as she has reported numerous times, that the, just the, the concept of music oh, soothing the soul um, gives her entree into Isn't that the relationship with someone. My, um, my son, uh, with a bunch of his friends, well, the friends climbed on the roof of the local school. <laughs> Always a good plan. Yeah, and then the police came and they um, basically – and the fire department to get him off the roof. Well, my son's not adept enough to climb a pole to get on the roof because he's just not that strong, I guess. So he, But he still got in trouble and they got sent to this little thing where they had to go – and my son plays instruments. And he and his friend had to go play music at a rest home. And they were just playing it for the whole congregation and this family came and grabbed them and said, look, my, my mother's dying. Could you just come in and sit and play? Mm. And it was the most spiritual experience of this boy who had we called it was arrested. Um, <laughs> and he went in and at the end of some woman's life got to provide his, his spiritual gift, right. which is really all you're offering. Yeah, that that is one of the most sacred things. You know, Mark talked referred to the patient environment or that that deathbed scene is holy ground, and it really is. You are accompanying somebody. You've been blessed with an opportunity to be of service, and that's really what being involved in chaplaincy is about. Powerful, gentlemen. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Mark man. Allison, David Nutter from the World Spiritual Health Organization. Uh, we will be back right after this. When we come back, we'll also have an email where you can get a hold of these gentlemen right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. Have you ever wanted to travel the world? Now you can experience the vibrant cultures and customs of countries across the globe and cities across America through the eyes and ears of folk artist Eric Dowdle. Tune in to Traveling with Eric Dowdle and travel the world weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. For regular updates on BYU Radio programming, sports, and other behind-the-scenes news, follow BYU Radio on Twitter. Just search for BYU Radio, hit follow, and enjoy our tweets on news, live updates on shows, and much more. Talk about good. 
parenting can be a tricky business, and we all know families don't come with a handbook. That's why we can learn from world traveling family coaches, the Ayers. Join the Ayers on the road for family, parenting, and general life advice Monday through Thursday, 6 30 p.m. Eastern, on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Keep up to date with BYU Radio's programming by liking BYU Radio on Facebook. You can check our page for BYU sports updates and information on our entertainment programming. Like us on Facebook at BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Appreciate uh, those chaplains joining us, Mark Allison now and David Nutter. If you want to get a hold of these gentlemen, you can contact them at this at this email account: chaplain mark allison a l l i s o n w s h o at gmail dot com, or also chaplain david nutter n u t t e r w s o at gmail dot com. Please go ahead and contact them um, and, uh, and and ask your questions. They really have a great organization, and uh, I think they're going to be changing the world. Um, now, we're going to go take it a little bit different here for a second. We all have to find something to dedicate our lives to, but they always say money isn't everything, right? Ben Wagner considers what we should value in our careers and our vocation. One of the chief problems of humanity is our search for a so-called meaning in life. When trying to discover what you want to do with your time on this rock, people will always give you the advice that money isn't everything. But I wonder if that's just something poor people say to feel better about themselves. Well, then again, here I am working in radio. I recently ran into an old friend who, upon discovering what I do, commented, That seems like a glamorous gig. You would think so, was my response. But then again, she doesn't see my paycheck. Don't get me wrong, I love my job, but my little brother, 16 years old, works at McDonald's after school and makes almost as much money as I do, which, by the way, he then promptly blows on video games, bowling, and buying chicken nuggets at his place of employment. My little sister has been spending her summers over the last couple of years working at the same burger joint making shakes, and I'm pretty sure she actually does make more money than I do. A few years ago, I worked at a call center doing technical support, and I made twice as much money as I make now. Every day, I would get up, commute 45 minutes to work, and then spend nine hours helping people fix their computers over the phone. I got yelled at a lot. People just want someone to blame when they get a virus on their computer, despite the fact that, by the way, it's always their fault. I would normally work on 12 to 14 computers at once. Often, I wouldn't take a break. It was just easier to press on and try and get done at a reasonable hour. Sometimes I'd be there three to four hours after I was supposed to get off trying to get all those computers fixed. In short, I made a lot of money and I was totally miserable. I hated my job. There's something to be said for wanting to get up every day. Back then, waking up in the morning seemed like such a chore because I knew I was about to be miserable for the next 11 hours. Days off weren't fun because I spent them dreading going back to work and I was exhausted all the time from the pressure of work. I was probably depressed. Now, Well, I don't make as much money as I used to. Trust me, you don't get into radio to get rich. But at least I don't hate getting up in the morning. I actually enjoy my job. I get to be creative, constantly learn new skills, and I meet new and interesting people every day. I can be proud of the work I do, even if I'm not richly compensated for it. 
I don't know if radio is my calling in life, but when trying to figure it out, money isn't everything. But maybe just wanting to get up in the morning is. Excellent, excellent lesson, Ben. So that's the point of the show. Money's not everything. It's really about the contribution you're making. Uh, Goethe once said, man is not born to solve the problems of the universe, but to find out what he has to do. Uh, You might even want to add, and to pursue it with inspiration. Get out there, folks. Live an inspiring life. Do what you are called to do on this earth, and I think we'll all be better for it. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.